We are entering into our third week in this Christmas series called Christmas Playlist, The Road Home. And this series is an extension of the series that we had just come out of that we will be going back into called Playlist, The Road Home. Now, here's what's going on. Up to three times a year, God's people, the Israelites, would take a spiritual pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem, and then they would get there through the gates of the city of peace, the city of God, and then they would go up to the top of Mount Zion, which is the Mount of Joy, and there they would worship God. And along the way, on this road, on this spiritual pilgrimage, God gave them these songs to sing along the way called the Songs of Ascents. Ascents technically means pilgrimage. So they're singing these songs on the road, and these roads are describing what life is like on the road, what life is like on your journey to meet with God on this spiritual pilgrimage. And these songs have in them words of encouragement to keep you going along the road. And the same way for us right now in this Christmas series, we are on a spiritual pilgrimage. And we are searching for the lost city of God, the celestial city. And what we have are these Christmas songs for us to sing along the way. And here's what the Christmas songs are teaching you. You cannot get to the God of the mountain. You are unable to reach him. He is too far off. But the Christmas songs we sing also tell us that we have a God who comes down from the mountain to come and get us on the road and to take us up to the celestial city of God. And what we are finding in this series is that we have uncovered a secret history behind Christmas. The secret story about these magi, these people who find themselves the first people to meet with Jesus, to find him, and to bow to him and worship him in the Gospel of Matthew. And what these magi have just done is they have taken an 800-mile hike, a journey, a spiritual pilgrimage into Bethlehem to drop down on their knees before this infinite infant king and worship him. And what's fascinating is these magi, they have one main job, and that job is to appoint kings. Now these magi were wise men. They were mathematicians, they were ancient doctors, they were ancient magicians, which is very different than pulling a rabbit out of a hat. They were spiritual advisors. They were all things wise. And while they are all things wise, they did not approach Jesus to offer him any wisdom. They approached Jesus to worship him. They approached Jesus to be led by him. They approach Jesus to be changed by him. There is something going on here that is greater than what we understand at first. And the question is, how have these non-Israelite, non-godly people from this faraway country found themselves to be the very first people to come and bow down and worship to Jesus? And the answer is that long ago, 650 years before this moment, these magi were appointed a new leader. His name was Daniel. And he's a young Jewish man who was exiled from his home country, the city of God, exiled out of his home country into Babylon, which is seen as the archetypal evil city. 
and he's thrown into this place. And through a series of events, he finds himself in second of command and chief over all of these magi. Now, here's what's remarkable. This godly Jewish man who's been exiled from his home country has now just been appointed chief of the magi. And you know what he would have done as chief? Taught them all his heritage, all that he knew about God's word in the Old Testament. And you know what God's word is all about? Finding this king who will come and lead God's people to the celestial city of God. Now, imagine this. He's been appointed as the chief magi. The magi's job is to appoint kings. And he's there telling them there is a king to come who will rule all over all other kings. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. And that information that he would have been giving these magi, these beautiful truths... They would have passed down from generation to generation to generation. And that is why, 650 years later, they take this 800-mile-long journey and bow to this king. And what also is important is how this Daniel found himself in the role of being the chief magi. Here's what happened. Long ago, God's people went off on these rebel roads. They wanted nothing to do with God. They wanted to remove him from the throne of their hearts. Another prophet named Jeremiah described it like this. God's people spread their legs to all the false gods of all the other nations. So God, here's what he does. This is going to sound, you're not going to like the way it sounds, but God raises up an evil king named Nebuchadnezzar so that this evil king would uproot God's people from the city of God and disperse them out, some of which ended up in Babylon. Now, God did this so that God's people would eventually turn back to him. So, and and by the way, Christmas is a time where we ought to be thinking, how should I be turning back to God? So, what we have then is Daniel was appointed to be one of many young men who would go to Babylon. And there in Babylon, Daniel and his friends come underneath the rule of this evil king. And here's what he does. The king forces Daniel to be trained under the ways of the Magi. And what this was, is was an attempt. This, was, this is how genius King Nebuchadnezzar was, this evil king. This is how he, he's seeking to overthrow the whole world. He seeks to assimilate everyone he takes over into the culture of Babylon, into the archetypal evil city. In a way, he does this so that God's people would become more Babylonians than Jews. Now, here's what you need to know about Babylon. Babylon represents this ancient, evil, archetypal city. It is meant to be seen as hell on earth. And there, in this hell on earth, Daniel's friends are told, you must bow down and worship this golden statue. And they don't do it. They refuse. And this evil king gives them one more chance and says, all right, here's your last chance. To Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he says, bow down and worship, or if you don't, I'm throwing you into the fire. And they refuse. And they're thrown into the fire. And there in the fire, they meet someone most unexpected. The God 
in the fire. I'm going to read these verses to you. I'm going to start with Matthew. This is the story of the Magi coming and bowing down to Jesus. And then we're going to go into Daniel. And we're going to trace the story of how Daniel and his three friends create a movement in this ancient archetypal evil city that one day leads the Magi to be bowing down to this infant king. So Dan, or Matthew 2, 1 through 2. Now... After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, these are the magi from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now here's the story of Daniel's three friends who faced the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, a bagpipe, and every type of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent... And the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to him, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound. Walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. 
Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. The question that you have to be asking yourself right now is who is this fourth person in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? There's two options that we hear, that, we could, that could go on here that we know from Scripture. Either this is an angel of God, or this is the angel of the Lord. Now, the angel of the Lord is a title that we see come up often in the Old Testament, and it's usually referring to a Christophany which is an appearance of Christ before he came. So if this isn't just an angel, then what we have here is the army of God has been let loose to come and deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or this is God himself. I'm leaning towards this is God himself, Christ, coming into the fire. Now here's what this means. This is Christmas before Christmas comes. This is a shadow of the real thing. This is a glimmer of what is to come. The point is, God has entered in to the evil city of Babylon, and he's come into the worst part of it, into the fire, to show up for his people. And it's so fascinating that those people that are there watching on are the magi, these people who would have taken the teachings of Daniel about a coming king, and then would pass this down from generation to generation, but not only this teaching, they would know this story about a God who came into the fire with his people. And then 650 years later, this teaching that was passed down led the Magi to this 800-mile-long journey to bow at the feet of this infant, infinite king who was there 650 years ago in the fire with God's people. And there is a deep spiritual meaning in our verses. If you want to be in a relationship with God, if you want to know him, you have to understand that he is not the God that stands away from the fire. He could have, in this situation, orchestrated some divine event. He could have sent a tornado. He could have sent a hurricane. He could have sent an earthquake. He could have created a situation where God's people snuck out and got away, but he doesn't. He lets them walk right into the fire. But it's there in the fire that he meets with them. He doesn't stand outside the fire. He walks into the fire with those that he loves. To start us off this morning in our call to worship, Kristen read how God walks through the water with us. He parts the sea. He doesn't let the waters overtake us. And he puts out the fire or he is in the fire with us and it does not overcome us. Now the question is, how can that be true? And the answer is back in the, verse, the first verse that she read, which said, I am yours and you are mine. It said, I called you by name and you are mine. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism a catechism is a theological question with answers that follow. So there's a list of questions and a list of answers. In the Heidelberg Catechism, the very first question that is asked is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer, 
you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. Your great longing is comfort. To lay on the comfortable beds of paradise where peace is just all around you, where there's no hurt, death, pain, any tear that you once shed has been wiped away as it has never existed. To be human is to walk into the fire scratching and clawing for some type of peace. To be human and to find God is to find the one who gives you peace in the fire. Not the one who keeps you out of the fire, but lets you go in and then gives you peace when you're in it. And it's in there in the fire that you hear these words, son, daughter, I am with you and I will not let this fire harm you. When you pass through the waters, I'm with you. When you are through the fire, you shall not be burned. The message of Christmas is God saying, I am here for those who are mine. And nothing is going to stand in my way. Now, it's funny because we're picturing this little infant coming for battle. It looks strange, but that's the way that God is. He's coming into the archetypal evil city, and he's coming vulnerable because he's coming into the fire with you just as you are, to meet you just as you are, and him becoming like you so that he can make you like him. He's the God who's near. And the profound spiritual message behind this is not only that he meets you in the fire, but if you want to meet him, you have got to walk right into that fire. If you want to know him, I mean, not just know about him, but really know him, you've got to go into the fire. So how do you meet him? Well, look at these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are in exile. They are outside the city of peace, out away from the Mount of Joy, and they are homeless orphans that are refusing to bow down to the idols of the culture of their day. Now, the same is true for you. To be a Christian is to be in exile. This is not your home. You are wandering spiritual orphans, wandering this earth, searching for your only true father. And you have been uprooted from being at home with him. And as you search for him, there will be idols of the culture that try to lure you in. Say, come, bow down, worship me, and I'll give you everything that you long for. When you refuse to bow down to those idols of the culture, you will be thrown into the fire. Now, these young men, they knew God before they entered into the fire, but the stakes have been raised. The question is, what is their devotion to God? Will they bow down to the idols or will they face death? They pass by every idol on the road home and choose the fire instead. Now, the question is, what would you do? And, and, and here's why it's difficult, because the idols are offering you comfort. The idols, idols are offering you a peace, a security, and you know what God's offering you? A fire. It's like, what will you do? Here's the test before you. Will you be devoted to him, or will you be comfortable and take the easy route? And when you take the easy route, what you find is it's not comfortable at all. But if you will go into the fire, in the fire you meet the God who comforts you. So now the question is, what is an idol? 
because idol keeps coming up in this. Idol, an idol is a good thing, a beautiful thing that you turn into an ultimate thing. And they are things that are very easy to choose over God. And the statue in our story represents so much more than a statue. It represents allegiance to a king. Now, why would somebody bow down and worship, obey this false king Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king? Well, they're doing it, one, for comfort. They're doing it also for the sake of unity because this king Nebuchadnezzar is offering them all the peace that they want, a vision of the good life, and they're like, yeah, I want that. Okay, I will follow you. An idol says, give me your life. Unite to me, and I will give you what you want. And God says, I've got a fire before you. Enter in and meet me there. Now, here's what else is fascinating. The place where the statue is set up is in the plain of Dura. The plain of Dura is the place of the legendary Tower of Babel. This is the place where people on the earth tried to build a tower up so high that they could reach into the heavens. And the reason that they did that, there's a lot of meanings behind that story of Babel. But the reason that they, one of the reasons is they wanted to seek to take over the throne of God and make themselves the king over all things. Now, why would humanity do that? Well, there is a philosopher named Nietzsche, and he writes this book called Thus Spoke Zarathustra. And he's, he, in this, we get a hint at why humanity does what it does. And it's so fascinating. It's just, it, it's just perfect that we look at this book because Zarathustra was the one who started the religion of the Magi. And by the time Daniel gets there, it has morphed into a, a bunch of different things. But here is what Nietzsche says in this book called Thus Spoke Zarathustra. He says, God is dead. Let's take his throne. Let's take his throne and become ubermen. Let's become supermen. Let's become little gods. Let's become the kings of our existence. Nietzsche is seen as a revolutionary for saying this, but he's not saying anything new. It's the Tower of Babel all over again. And you know what this means? Behind every single idol that is offered to you, behind it is self-worship. Self-worship. And now, you want it. None of you would say you want to be worshipped because as soon as you say it, then you're going to lose any potential to be worshipped. But you want it. Deep within all of us, underneath the masquerade, behind the facade, there is a dream that you have, a vision of you on the throne of God with all the world bowing down to you saying, oh, hail King you. Teach us. Tell us how to live. Tell us what will give us joy. Tell us what will give us peace. We love you. You're amazing. We're bowing to you. Thank you for giving us everything that you have given us, King you. And if you're being honest with yourself right now, you like that. Sounds pretty appealing. Only problem. You aren't wise enough to rule even your own life, let alone the whole world. You know the fruit in the garden, this apple that was offered. Do you know what's really being offered there? This ability to decide for yourself what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, what is wise and foolish. So we took the apple and we ate 
because the apple represented us being able to be the all-wise and knowing king of our existence. And as soon as we started ruling over our own lives, you know what happened? Adam and Eve, they, they realized they were naked, they were afraid, they were ashamed, and they realized they were way in over their heads. They weren't up for the task. So the question you should be asking yourself right now is what do you do with that desire in you that wants a throne so bad? You take that part of you and you walk with it right into the fire and you let it die there in the fire. Because here's the deal. There is a fire before the fire. There's a great temptation to face before the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced it. They had to face as they were walking into the fire, every single throne that they passed by that offered them their own rule, their own desires, their own kingships, they had to say no to all of it and walk right into the fire. Passing by it. And, and the world says, this looks crazy. Why wouldn't they just bow down? Why wouldn't they just do this so that they could live? And they refused to do it. So they faced death. Why would you do that? The only reason you would know to do that is because God is there in the fire. What is the fire? They say that God can save them, but even if God doesn't save them, they will not worship and bow down to some false idol. So the fire, one, represents this temptation. It's the fire before the fire. But the fire also represents difficulties that you have in your life. And when you face those difficulties... When you are in over your heads, when life feels too much for you, God is there in the fire with you. Fire also represents pain and suffering. When you are being crushed under the weight of the pain that you have in your life, the heartbrokenness that you feel, the loss that you feel, the suffering that you feel, God is there in the fire with you. When you're in the wilderness, when you're in the desert waste, when you realize finally that this world is not home and you are in exile, when you become depressed because of it all, when you feel so much sadness in you that you just want to shut down because if you know if you fight back, you're going to erupt with an anger that is absolutely uncontrollable. When you start feeling that, remember that you have a God who is in the fire with you, and he will calm you. He will give you a peace that passes all understanding, and there you will come out of the fire. And then there's also this last fire that we all must face. And this last fire that we all face either ends with a death that we pass through or a death that swallows us up forever. See, here's the deal. Every single fire that you face, every trial, every pain, every loss, it can either lead to a small little kingdom of hell on the earth, or it can transform you. But the bottom line is you aren't enough to get through the fire that you're facing. But if you will die to your desire for self-worship on that road with all those idols, all those thrones that are tempting you, they're saying, come and sit down. If you can die to that desire in you and walk into the fire, you're going to find that you come out of that fire absolutely transformed. Every single mini fire that you face in this life will transform you if you face it with him. And when you face the ultimate fire, the last fire, 
and you take hold of him in the fire, the God who was with you, you come out beautiful. You come out transformed. You come out more divine than you ever thought you would become because he has brought you out and you finally are transformed into the version of you that you have always longed to become. But you got to go through the fire with him. And if you don't enter into that last trial, that last fire without him, you become the most vile version of yourself you could have ever imagined. You become impure, defiled, tainted, and the most distorted version of you than you thought you could become. So what do you do? You go to him. Let Christmas time be the time that you know that God has come into the fire with you. He's left his comfortable home in the heavens and he's come down into a world that is like Babylon that wants to destroy him, kill him, and throw him into the fire. And when you're in the pain of being exiled away from your true home, remember that Christmas time is proof that God has come to meet you here in the exile, meet you in the fire. And when you feel alone and you feel abandoned, remember that he has come into a world that would reject him. And Christmas, it's just the beginning of his exile because there, as he grows up into a man, he's taken up to the top of a mountain to be tempted by Satan. Do you know how Satan tempts him? With a throne, with a kingdom, with another version of the apple. He says, all this could be yours. The same thing that that ancient evil serpent prince offered you in the garden. Only when he offered it to Jesus, he didn't bite. And then after that test, he faces the ultimate test. The cross. And on that road, as he's carrying that cross, he could have walked away from it all. He could have said, you know what, I'm not really the son of God. I'm not really the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I haven't really come to save the world. I am really just a single man, not like, any, like all of you, and I will walk away from all this. But he doesn't. He faces the ultimate fire, the cross. And the cross is not simply some physical fire. It is a spiritual fire. And on the cross, what he does is he takes the coals of your sin and he puts it upon himself. He takes the coals of your desire to be your own king. He takes the coals of your want to take over his throne and he puts it on himself. And the match is lit and he goes up in flames holding on to the coals of your sin and he is burned. But as he is burned, all of that sin that you had built up in your life is burned away as well, and you are forgiven. And not only are you just forgiven, but now you are free from the power of sin, and you now have this deep longing and ability in you to follow him to the ends of the earth because you see what he's done for you and what he's done to you. And you're not scared to go anywhere he goes because he's already brought you through the fire. The fire that can't be quenched has now been put out. Death and hell have been defeated. The evil serpent is gone. He's been crushed. And now there is no fire that can harm you because he is the living waters. Let's pray. God, show us that you are the God of Christmas. And the God of Christmas 
is a God of war who brings peace. You don't go to war with us, God. You go to war with sin and death so that we might have peace finally, real peace, lasting peace that would erupt into a joy that we can't help but express in praise and worship to you. So help us, like the Magi, take this pilgrimage that leads us to you, our infinite infant king, who has come with vulnerability to face the fire in our place. God, we love you for doing this. We praise you for doing this. And we want to live for you now. So God, we pray that you'd help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen.